The Old Testament reading is Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. And this is the infallible and inerrant word of God. Let's hear God's word. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And now let's turn to Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 25. And this is our sermon text uh, this morning. Romans 4, 13 through 25. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. In God's good providence, at our evening services here at Mount Rose, uh, I have been uh, preaching through the book of Genesis, and we happen at this time to be uh, considering uh, the life and the faith of Abraham. And last week at the evening service, I made the observation that uh, the Bible uh, holds out Abraham to be 
a paragon of faith, the quintessential man of faith. Um, as you know, Hebrews chapter 11 is a chapter that is devoted to um, praising uh, the faith of the Old Testament saints who lived by faith. And if the greatness of a person's faith is measured in terms of how many verses uh, he gets in Hebrews chapter 11, then Abraham is the all-time champion of faith. He gets something like 11 verses devoted to him. Uh, Sometimes Hebrews 11 is called the Hall of Fame of faith. And if that's the case, then Abraham doesn't just have a, a plaque hanging on a wall there, but he has an entire wing uh, devoted to him. Uh, in Genesis or in Galatians uh, 3.9, the Apostle Paul refers to Abraham as the man of faith, not just a man of faith, but he is the man of faith. There are many faithful, but there is only one Abraham, the man of faith. And when it, uh, because, it because when it comes to um, trusting in the Lord and, and living by faith, because Abraham stands like a giant looming above us, you and I may feel like we are in a completely different league uh, from Abraham when it comes to faith. Um, Our faith is nothing, we feel, compared uh, to Abraham. But as we look at the passage this morning, as we consider the faith and life of Abraham, uh, we'll see that we have much more in common uh, with the man of faith uh, than we might think at first. And we'll see also that what is most encouraging as we consider the faith of Abraham, what is most encouraging to us is not uh, just the example of his faith, but the testimony that his faith and his life give us of the greatness of the faithfulness and the grace of God and of Christ towards us. As we look at this passage this morning, we'll consider two lessons from it. First of all, uh, by faith, Abraham received the promise of God. And secondly, the second lesson is that Abraham believed the promise of God, although it was impossible. That is, humanly speaking, the promise of God was impossible. So first, by faith, Abraham received God's promise. Just to give us, uh, as a reminder, a review, the context of uh, where we are in Paul's letter to the Romans, what he has been talking about. Uh, the subject in this section of Romans is justification apart from works, justification by faith apart from works, justification by faith alone. Our justification means that in the sight of God, our sins are forgiven. It means that we are counted righteous uh, by God in his sight because of the righteousness of Jesus. And Paul has been arguing in this section of Romans that our justification is ours as a gift of God's grace. Uh, We are justified by God's grace. Uh, We don't do anything to justify ourselves, to make ourselves right before God. We can't do anything uh, to make ourselves right before God. We don't contribute anything to our justification by our obedience or good works or keeping God's commandments. Rather, by entrusting ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, by coming to him in faith, by submitting to Christ as our Lord and Savior, we receive by grace this gift of righteousness by which we are declared just in the sight of God. And so we are justified by faith alone. 
in Christ alone. That's what Paul has been uh, telling us here in Romans. And at the beginning of chapter 4, in order to prove that this way of justification has always been God's way of justifying his people, Paul, ho- Paul holds out to us as an example uh, the patriarch Abraham, uh, the father of the Jewish people. In verses 1 through 12 of chapter 4, which we looked at uh, two weeks ago, uh, Paul shows how Abraham was justified by faith apart from works. And he also goes on to show that because Abraham was justified when he was uncircumcised, therefore he has become the father of all who believe in Jesus. He is the father of the Jew who was circumcised but believes in Jesus Christ for salvation. He is the father of the Gentile who may not be circumcised and yet who believes in Jesus Christ for salvation. And then coming to our passage in verses 13 through 15, uh, Paul explains why it is that Abraham and, and all who share the faith of Abraham, Paul explains why it is that we can only inherit this promise of salvation on the basis of of faith in Christ. And we cannot inherit this salvation, this promise, on the basis of doing the works of the law. So he says in verse 13, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. does not come through the law, but it comes through the righteousness of faith. Well, first let's ask the question, what is this promise that we receive by faith? He, he, he refers to the promise as uh, Abraham being the heir of the world, being the heir of the world. What is this promise? This is God's promise to Abraham that as he would be the father of the people of Israel, uh, he would be the means, therefore, by which uh, the blessing, the salvation of God ultimately would extend to all the nations of the world uh, through the Messiah who would come from Abraham ultimately and be given uh, to the world. Uh, in Genesis twelve three, the Lord said to Abraham, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In Genesis seventeen five, the passage that we that we heard earlier, I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. And this promise to Abraham that he would be the heir of the world, a promise that was made to Abraham and his offspring, that is those who share his faith in Christ, uh, this promise will see its ultimate fulfillment in the coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes in order to establish his eternal reign of righteousness, of peace, and life over a new heavens and a new earth. And all those who belong to Christ by faith, that is Abraham and his offspring, we shall live in this state of glory with Christ forever. And so all of this is wrapped up in this promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world. Uh, Essentially, Jesus made the very same promise to us uh, when he said in the Beatitudes, he said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And so the promise here in verse 13 is the promise of salvation, uh, which will come to its greatest fulfillment at the return of Christ. And so uh, with Abraham, as believers in Christ, we too have received this promise to be the heirs of the world. And according to verse 13, this promise is ours not through the works of the law, not by doing God's commandments, but by faith, through the righteousness of faith. 
In other words, and this is what Paul has been saying, nobody receives the promise of eternal life in Jesus Christ. Nobody uh, is saved. Nobody is justified on the basis of doing the law, uh, doing good works, um, obedience to God. But the promise is given to the one who is made righteous solely by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as the one and only source of righteousness. And Paul says in verse 14 that if a person does seek this promise of salvation on the basis of keeping the law, if somebody like the Jews in his day who did not believe in Christ, if they seek to establish their own righteousness on the basis of doing what God commands, or if we, apart from Christ, seek to establish our own righteousness on the basis of of doing good, uh, hoping in that way to obtain the promise of God uh, to receive the inheritance, if that is the case, Faith is made void, or faith is is null, and the promise comes to naught. In verse 14, Paul says, For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null, and the promise is void. You cannot be saved by keeping God's commandments. You cannot be saved by doing good works. You cannot be saved by trying to be the best version of yourself that you can possibly be. There is no promise for anyone There is no promise to anyone who seeks to obtain salvation by this means, by doing. Instead of promise, there is only the certainty of condemnation and death. And the reason for that is what Paul says in verse 15. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. The law brings wrath. Now, this is one of the most fundamental, one of the most cardinal truths of the, of the Christian message. Uh, this is one of the fundamental truths that underlines the truth of the gospel. And that is that the law of God cannot give us life. God's law cannot bring us blessing. God's law cannot um, uh, bring us into heaven. But the law of God can only condemn us. The law of God can only condemn us. It brings wrath. Uh, now, this is what people don't understand when they conceive of Christianity as just another religion, along with all the other religions of the world, by which if a person keeps the rules, if a person obeys God's commandments, therefore he or she will earn their way into heaven. That is exactly the opposite of what the Christian message says. But so many people who not only conceive of Christianity that way, but even those people who call, or many people who call themselves Christian, Uh, conceive of it in that way. They say to themselves, if I try to be a good person, if I seek to do good, uh, surely God is good. He will let me into his heaven when I die. He will take into account the life that I have lived, that I've been decent, I've been upright, I've been moral, most of the time at least. Surely God will let me into his heaven. But this verse says, no, the law brings wrath for anyone Apart from faith in Christ, if you try to gain eternal life by keeping the law of God or by keeping any kind of system of morality or ethics as a way of gaining God's favor so that you may be saved. The scripture says, this verse says, no, you will only be condemned. The law brings wrath, not blessing, not salvation. And of course, the reason is because of our sin. Because of our sinful nature, apart from grace, we 
can only do and we will only do the very opposite of what the law commands us to do. That is the nature of our sin. Um, In the second part of verse 15, Paul says, but where there is law, there is no transgression. Uh, I think maybe the easiest way to understand what Paul is saying there is to invert the language. Where there is law, there is transgression. Whenever the law comes into the consciousness of a person who is a sinner, and that includes all people, the very natural thing that we do is we break the law. We do the very opposite of what that law commands us. And therefore, for that reason, if you and I are to be saved, it cannot be through the law. We must receive righteousness as a gift uh, by the grace of God. And that's what God gives us in Jesus Christ. That's why Paul refers in verse 13 uh, to the righteousness of faith. It's a righteousness that is given to us by grace and it is ours by trusting, by faith in Christ. Now, in verses 17 through 21, Paul speaks more about the nature of Abraham's faith. And, and we'll look at those verses. That's, that's our second uh, lesson uh, from this passage. But first, let's skip down to the end of the passage, to uh, verses 22 through 25. In verse 22, uh, because of the, the specific quality of Abraham's faith, which we will consider... Uh, Paul says in that verse, he says, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Um, And so Paul repeats this basic lesson that he has been telling us over and over again, uh, that Abraham was counted righteous. He was justified on the basis of faith apart from works. And then Paul says that these words uh, declaring that Abraham was uh, justified or made righteous because of his faith, that these words in Scripture are not only uh, written uh, on account of Abraham and his faith, but that they are written for our sake as well, for for your and my sake. Uh, Verse 23, But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. So at the beginning of this this message, I I began by saying that Abraham is extraordinary. He is the man of faith. Uh, In many ways, he is in a league of his own. And when you consider the life of Abraham, you can see why that's the case. Uh, Abraham, he was uh, living in Ur of the Chaldeans uh, with his family, uh, worshiping idols. And the Lord called him to himself and the Lord commanded him to go, go to the land that I will show you. And by faith, Abraham went. Uh, He did not know where he was going. He went to a a strange, a foreign land, a hostile land. There he was a stranger, a sojourner. He did not see the fulfillment of the promise that the land would be given uh, to him and his descendants. Uh, Later, uh, by faith, as we'll see, um, when God promised Abraham uh, that he and Sarah would have a son, though it was impossible, uh, Abraham believed, he trusted in God's promise. He knew it would happen. And later, after that son was born and had grown up a little bit, uh, the Lord commanded uh, Abraham to sacrifice his son, uh, to sacrifice Isaac. And as you know, Abraham was fully prepared to do it. It was only when the angel of the Lord interceded that 
Abraham was kept from actually sacrificing his son, but he believed. He believed that the Lord could bring him back from the dead. By faith, Abraham became the father of the Jewish nation. By faith, Abraham became the father of all who believe. And so Abraham is a giant of the faith, a giant in faith, and we are mere pygmies in comparison. But we do have more in common with Abraham than we realize because God promises you in Jesus Christ the very same salvation that he promised Abraham. The salvation that he promised Abraham is in substance the same that he promises you and me. The full forgiveness of our sins, uh, the hope of eternal life, uh, the promise of resurrection life in glory forever, of living with Christ forever. Uh, This is the same promise that God made to Abraham that he makes uh, to you. And you receive this promise in the very same way that Abraham did, and that is By believing, by believing in the God who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, in the words of verse 24. And so every blessing, every grace that God gave to Abraham, he gives to you, and you receive it in the very same way, that is by trusting, by believing. And so in in, in these ways, in these fundamental, basic ways, Abraham and you and me, we're all on the same, we're we're all at the same level. We receive the same wonderful promises. They are ours by faith, just as it was with Abraham. In fact, there's one way, at least, in which Abraham, he would have given his right arm if he could trade places with us. And that is that Abraham could only know of the Christ who was to come. Abraham could only know about Christ through the through the promises of God and through the shadowy types that God had given him to reveal to him something about this Messiah, this Christ who was to come. But you and I, we live after the coming of Christ. We live on the other side of the cross and resurrection. We live in the glorious age of the full revelation of the Son of God, of Jesus Christ. We live in the fullness of gospel light. We live in that reality which Uh, Peter tells us, consists of things into which the angels long to look. Oh, how Abraham would have loved to have known what you and I know, what is revealed to us in the New Testament about the coming of Christ and all that he has done for our salvation. We know him as the Savior, uh, who Paul says in verse 25, was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Abraham knew Christ well enough to believe in him, but he did not know the fullness of what Jesus would do, that he was delivered up for our trespasses, that he bore our sin upon the cross, that he paid the penalty that was ours, the wrath of God for our forgiveness. He was raised up for our justification, that on the third day that Christ emerged from the tomb victorious, the conqueror of sin and death and hell forever, Oh, we live in this wonderful age in which the fullness of the salvation and the the fullness of the person of Christ has been shown to us uh, in the gospel, in his coming into the world. And so really, God has given us far more reasons, far more reasons than even that he gave to Abraham to believe and to trust. And the only question that will matter when you or before the throne of God on the day of judgment is this. God is not going to 
look at your life and weigh your good deeds against your bad deeds and if the balances come out well, he'll let you into heaven. But the question, the only question that matters will be this. Did you receive my son, Jesus Christ? Did you come to him as your savior? Did you rest in him as the only one who could take away your sins? Are you a child of Abraham by faith in Jesus Christ? Do you believe in Christ? Is he your hope uh, today? Uh, that's what Abraham's faith uh, confronts us, confronts us with that question. Do I believe in Christ? That's how we receive the promise of God is by faith. So that's the first lesson Abraham received, uh, God's promise by faith. Secondly, uh, by faith, Abraham believed in the promise of God, though it was impossible. So in the second half, beginning, well, in the second half of of verse 17, uh, Paul tells us something about the God in whom Abraham trusted. He says, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence existence the things that do not exist. Paul describes God this way because of the specific promise that God had made to Abraham, and that was that he would be the father of a multitude of nations. Well, in order for Abraham to be the father of many nations, first he had to be the father of just one child. But he couldn't, at least by human reckoning. The circumstances of Abraham and Sarah were such that the giving birth to a son was impossible. Uh, It was absolutely out of the question. Uh, Abraham was about 100 years old. Uh, Sarah was almost as old as Abraham. She was 90 years old. And also, she was barren. Uh, Throughout their whole marriage, they were not able to have uh, children. And so what God promised Abraham was, was nothing less than bringing life out of death. When Abraham considered his body, as far as uh, fathering a child goes, he knew his body was as good as dead. He might as well have been a corpse. That's how capable he was of fathering a child at that age. Uh, Sarah was old. Her womb was barren. And the word that the apostle used uh, to describe her, her, her womb as, uh, as barren or barrenness is literally the word means deadness. So Sarah's womb was dead. And so the promise was to bring life out of death. And for this reason, we can, we can easily understand if Abraham and Sarah, when they heard this promise of God that they would have a son that that they didn't immediately go you know, start planning their gender reveal party, you know, that they would have been very skeptical, doubting that this could ever happen. How could this be? But the God who promises to Abraham, he is able to do the impossible. Paul says again, he gives life, life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. And Although everything in Abraham's circumstances, everything told him, no, this is not possible. It cannot happen. You can never have a son with Sarah. Despite all of that, Abraham believed the promise of God. He believed the word of God. He was able to look past his circumstances and trust and know that God will fulfill his word 
because he is almighty God and he can do it. Now, when you are 100 years old, uh, don't expect God to come to you and give you a promise of a child. Um, In fact, if we live to be that long, probably we'll say something like this. Oh, Lord, I know I remember what it's like to have to have children and and a baby. Please don't give me any children. I'm tired. I'm worn out. But don't worry, this was a special promise that, that God made to Abraham. But what God does promise you and me, when we think about it, is it is equally impossible when we consider our own circumstances and what we are in this world as sinners. We still struggle with our sin every day. We know that God has given us his spirit to to deal with temptation, and yet we, we stumble, we fail. We're so aware, so conscious of our own sin. We still feel the guilt of our sin. And yet God promises you, in Jesus Christ, you are already forgiven. You are already righteous. You are sinless. In my sight, you are innocent. Uh, we live in a world that is under the shadow of death. And our bodies in this world They suffer sickness and disease and deterioration. But God makes this promise to you. You will be raised up in a body that will be free from sickness and death and disability forever and ever. And in this world, there is so much wickedness and evil and injustice. It pervades our world. But God promises you in Jesus Christ, I am preparing for you a world of perfect and never ending righteousness and peace and justice forever. Now, humanly speaking, do we have any grounds whatsoever for believing that any of this could possibly be true ever? No, we don't. We have no grounds whatsoever for believing these promises of God. But but we do have the one infallible ground for believing, and that is the promise comes from God. Who is infinite in power, who is able to bring life from the dead, who is able to call into existence the things that do not exist. And because God makes these promises to you and me in Christ, you can believe them. You can trust that God will fulfill his word for us. And so Abraham believed in the promise of God, though it was impossible. And this passage gives us a wonderful description of Abraham's faith, a glowing uh, description of his faith. In verse 18, in hope he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations. Uh, Verse 19 tells us that Abraham believed the promise of God even when he considered his body, which was old, and and Sarah, who was old, and and the barrenness of Sarah's womb. In verse 20, he says, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Verse 21, he was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Now, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, who led the apostle, who, uh, who directed the apostle as he wrote these words, so that these are the very words of God, uh, he is the, the same Spirit who also uh, inspired and led Moses, the author of Genesis, when he wrote about the life and the faith of Abraham. And when we read Genesis and when we see what Moses and Genesis has to say about the faith of Abraham, uh, we get a picture that's more complicated than what Paul tells us. 
What we learn in Genesis is that Abraham sometimes stumbled in his faith and trust in the Lord. Uh, Sometimes it was beyond stumbling. Sometimes he simply miserably failed to believe in God's promises. In Genesis chapter 12, for example, the passage that we will be looking at this evening, when Abraham and Sarah, when they went down to Egypt uh, from Canaan because a famine had stricken the land of Canaan, uh, as they were going down to Egypt, Abraham was filled with fear of believing that the Egyptians, when they saw Abraham or Sarah and her beauty, that they would uh, desire her to make her uh, one of them his wife and that they would kill Abraham. Um, and so Abraham told Sarah to lie. Uh, Tell them you are my sister. And of course, this was a failure on Abraham's part. If he believed the promise that God would give them a son, he would believe that he would preserve them in the land of Egypt without resorting to deception. In Genesis 16, Abraham evidently despaired of having a son with Sarah. And so he uh, concurs. He goes along with Sarah's plan uh, to father a son with her maidservant, Hagar, in order that they might have an heir. Again, this was an indication that Abraham had uh, failed to believe in God's promise. In Genesis 17, 17, right after God told Abraham that he will give him a son by his wife, Sarah, Abraham literally falls on his face and he laughs. And he says, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 99 years old, bear a child? Well, this is not the reaction of a man whose heart was rock solid in trusting the promises of God. This was a response of unbelief. Now, obviously, the Apostle Paul, he knew Genesis as well as anyone, better than anyone, probably. He knew the accounts of Abraham and how he stumbled in his faith. But it was by the leading of the Holy Spirit that the Apostle wrote these words and praised his faith, saying that he believed against hope. He did not weaken in faith. He did not waver concerning the promise of God. He grew strong in his faith. He was fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. And these words are what they are because this is God's assessment. This is God's uh, assessment of the overall character of the faith of the life of Abraham. Yes, there were times when Abraham stumbled and failed. And yet at heart, at bottom, he was always a man of faith. He was always a man of faith. Despite all his failures, at the end of the day, according to God's own testimony, Abraham was the man of faith. But there is a wonderful encouragement here for you and me. Because as Christians, we believe, we believe, we believe in the promises of God. We believe that what God has spoken in his word to us is true. That we belong to him, that he will care for us, that he will bring us into glory. And yet how often, how often do we fail to, to, to act by faith? How often in situations do we respond in a way that is unbelieving? How often have we sinned out of our unbelief? How often have we resorted to our own devices and wisdom to acquire the things that God has promised to give us? How often have we struggled to believe in God's word? Or how often have our hearts been filled with fear and anxiety rather than trust in the Lord and his word? But if God calls Abraham the man of faith, despite his failures, 
Then he calls you, he calls me, a man of faith, a woman of faith, a child of faith, despite our failures. So Abraham was justified by his faith. He was not justified by a perfect faith. He was justified by a genuine trust in the Lord and in his word. And his faith justified him, though it was imperfect, though he stumbled at times, his faith justified him because his faith was in a perfect and faithful Savior who never stumbles, who is always faithful, who is always true. By faith, Abraham embraced the Christ who was to come, but more fundamentally, the Christ who already was embraced Abraham in his love and in his grace and kept him. And Jesus embraces you by the same love and grace. He has promised to keep you and to guard you in this world until he calls you to your eternal home. And because faith, according to Hebrews, is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence or the conviction of things not seen, there is a day coming when we are brought into glory, when faith will give way to sight, we will no longer live by faith, but we will see, we will behold the Savior um, who loved us, who died for us, who justifies us. Uh, we will be with him in glory, and we will see him with our eyes, the one in whom we believe in now and trust in now. That was Abraham's hope, and that is your hope as well as one who belongs to Christ by faith. Let's pray.